evening and welcome again. We have a number of our young folks that are away, and I hope and pray that they have a safe week. I am, I, well, I would imagine that those of you who are parents, if your child is gone or children are gone, you might have a little vacation in store, or you might have some free time. But we're glad that you're here today, especially tonight, and we're always grateful for those who come back to be with us on Sunday evening. I do want to make mention of the fact that we had a great turnout today at the Olive Grove Terrace. We had 16 people present from Olive Branch, which I think is great representation. And we had song leading by committee. Brother Billy led several songs, and Brother Raymond led some songs. Brian led some songs. And I thought Brian, I told Brian at the conclusion, I'm sorry? I was going to mention Cameron too, but I had one thing I wanted, I wanted to say. I told Brian at the conclusion of the service that he stepped out where angels fear to tread. I was glad they didn't ask me to lead a song. And then Cameron led some of the songs. And so we, had, we really did have a great turnout, especially since some of our young folks were away and many times they come to be a part of that. But I appreciated all who were present. And Brian, Brian has really, I think, done a great job with our young folks. He works right alongside Jared. And Brian just might be a preacher one day. You just never know. He told me he was going to do a devotional in the very near future. And so I'm looking forward to that. I told Cameron just a minute ago, I asked Cameron if he was going to be speaking at the end of this month, and he said he didn't know. And I said, well, you need to tell him to let you speak. And so we do have some young guys that can preach in this congregation. Isaiah was at the preacher's camp a couple of weeks ago and had the opportunity to speak at Forest Hill on Wednesday night, and then I think he spoke again on Friday evening. But we're proud of all of our young folks, and we're very grateful for the influence that they exert, not only in this church, but in the community. Tonight we want to look at Matthew chapter 16. And as we look at Matthew chapter 16, I want us to think for a moment or two about the question that must be answered correctly. Many of us face an array of questions on a regular basis. Some of the questions that are posed to us are mundane. They have little bearing or significance on life or eternity. But when we think about the identity of Jesus. Well, that's a whole different thing altogether. When you and I look at what the scriptures have to say about Jesus, what we want to do is identify him correctly. We want to draw the right conclusions about what the Bible has to say concerning the Lord Jesus Christ. In Matthew chapter 22, Jesus asked, the Pharisees, and they were typically at odds with Jesus, Jesus asked them on one occasion, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? I think that's a fair question. And in Matthew chapter 16, we have Jesus asking the disciples. First of all, he wanted to know what were people saying about him? And then secondly, he wanted to know what they had to say about him. 
And so I want us to look at Matthew chapter 16. And as we look at verses 13 through 17, the first thing that I want to call your, call your attention to is the fact that the questions that are posed by Jesus to the disciples, the first question was a profound, it was what we might call a probing question. Listen to what he asked in verse 13. Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? First we think about the region where Jesus asked the disciples about his identity. Now Matthew tells us it was in the region of Caesarea Philippi, which was geographically the extreme northern part of Palestine. Historians, scholars, those who are familiar with the ancient world, suggest that Caesarea Philippi was at the base of Mount Hermon. The ancient city was called Panaeus. It was named after the Grecian pagan god Pan. So when you look at Caesarea Philippi, and some would say that it was located on a rocky terrace. So here's where Jesus asked this profound and probing question. Who do men say that I the son of man am? But now I want you to note with me the responses that they gave to Jesus regarding his identity. Here's what was said beginning in verse 14. Some say John the Baptist. Now, let me just preface this by saying that when you look at, when you look at what some were saying about Jesus, there were misconceptions about his identity in the ancient world. And there are misconceptions about Jesus today. Nothing has really changed. There are people today that have a skewed perception of Jesus Christ. So Jesus is asking, who do men say that I the son of man am? And they responded by saying, some say John the Baptist. Now John the Baptist was the forerunner to the Christ. And I guess you could see to some degree how many people would have concluded that Jesus was John the Baptist. After all, they preached the same message. In Matthew chapter 3, verses 1 and 2, the Bible tells us that John the Baptist, the forerunner to the Christ, preached a message of repentance. And he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. In Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, when the Lord began his public ministry, Matthew tells us that he began by preaching, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. So it seems somewhat logical that people could tie the two together. Now if you go back and look at Malachi chapter 4, Malachi pointed to the coming of Elijah. And based on the responses of the people, some were saying that Jesus was John the Baptist. Some, however, were identifying him as Elijah. Malachi foretold of the day that Elijah would come. Well, 
What about that? In Luke chapter 1, verse 17, we read of the birth and work, or really, I guess you could say in Luke chapter 1 and 2, we read about the birth and the work of John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was identified as one who came in the spirit and power of Elijah. So, some were saying that he was John the Baptist. Some were saying that he was Elijah. These were opinions offered by mankind. Now, I mentioned just a moment ago that Malachi pointed to the coming of Elijah. John the Baptist preached in the spirit and power of Elijah. That's what Luke tells us in Luke chapter 1, verse 17. I want to also point out that in Matthew chapter 14, verse 1, when Herod the governor heard a report about Jesus, his response was, this is John the Baptist raised from the dead. So, some were saying that he was John the Baptist. Others were saying he was Elijah. Now, we've already looked at Malachi chapter 4, and we said that the prophecy there had reference to John and not Jesus. But I could see how people could have identified Jesus as Elijah. After all, Elijah was one of the great prophets of old. He had a very, a very concise and powerful message. Furthermore, he worked in a number of miracles. And so it's reasonable to conclude that some people would, would say, well, Jesus, he's John the Baptist. Others, Elijah. But then note if you would, they said, some are saying you're Jeremiah. Jeremiah was called the weeping prophet, wasn't he? Jesus demonstrated a very tender and compassionate heart. He was, he was the Messiah who was a loving figure among many, many people. The Bible tells us on numerous occasions that Jesus wept openly. And so I think about Jeremiah, the weeping prophet who wept over the pending destruction of the southern kingdom, the fact that they were going into exile. And so here are people concluding, look, some are saying you're John the Baptist, some are saying that you're Elijah, others Jeremiah, and then some were saying you're one of the prophets. Now go back in the Old Testament, look at all the great prophets, beginning with Moses and going forward. Many great and esteemed men so those were some of the misconceptions of the day. But what about misconceptions today? Is it not the case that people today, they look and hear about Jesus and they draw erroneous conclusions about his character, about his nature, about who he was? Let me just offer for you some of the things that are said about Jesus. Some would say that he was nothing more than a social revolutionist. Now, did Jesus affect social change in the world? Absolutely. I think about Jesus and his ministry and his work. Jesus had that ability to break down social barriers. When you look at the teaching of Jesus and the teaching of the New Testament, is it not the case that it elevated the state of the woman? There's no question in my mind that Jesus led a revolution from the vantage point of social change. But he was more than that. 
Well, there are some people that would just define him as nothing more than a great teacher or great preacher. There have been famed preachers and teachers in days gone by, and you look back to some of the possibilities offered to Jesus about his identity. John the Baptist, what was he? He was a great preacher, wasn't he? Jeremiah, a great preacher, a great proclaimer of the word of God. Was he a prophet? Yes, but he was a preacher of Almighty God. There have been great teachers and great preachers, and some would say that Jesus had an innate ability to connect with man, that Jesus was such a powerful teacher that he was unlike any other. Well, that's true, he was, but he was more than just a teacher and preacher. And then there are some that would say that Jesus was an imposter. In other words, he was a fraud. He claimed to be one thing when in fact he was someone completely different. There, there have been individuals in the past that have falsely concluded that Jesus was nothing more than a fraud. Some might even look at him as a fictitious character, a fictitious being, as hard as that may be to realize, especially in light of the historical evidence and furthermore the evidence that we have in Scripture. But these are some of the responses that people have about the identity of Jesus. Then there are some that would say, well, he merely viewed himself as the Messiah. He wasn't really the Messiah. He just thought himself to be the Messiah. Have we not read about people in days gone by in recent times that have had the, had the I guess that they've had the thinking that they were some modern day Messiah, that they're someone special? Well, we understand that they have problems mentally. Well, some would say that Jesus merely thought he was the Messiah. So there were misconceptions then. There are misconceptions today. There are a lot of people, we, we could talk about those who are atheists. The atheist says there is no God. Jesus claimed to be God, didn't he? So they would deny his reality. The agnostic would say, how can you know? How could we really conclude whether or not this was indeed who he claimed to be? But now, I want you to think with me in the second place about a second question. And that is, I want us to think about the personal nature of this question. As we think about the personal nature of this question, I want to call attention to verse 15. Listen now to what Jesus asked the disciples. But who do you say that I am? You see, it's one thing to ask the question, what do other people think about me? But what the Lord wanted to know was, what do you think about me? Now we sometimes ask people questions, sometimes they're very pointed, Sometimes we ask probing questions, profound questions. 
And then there are questions that are very personal in nature. This is a personal question. It was asked by the Lord Jesus. He wants to know what the disciples think about his identity. Now the first thing we want to do is note the conclusion of Peter about Jesus. Here's what is said in verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Simon Peter often spoke up, didn't he? We talk about how he oftentimes would interject his thinking, his feelings before he thought things through. Well, here's what Simon Peter said. Number one, you are the Christ. The word Christ is not a name. It is a title. When Peter said, you are the Christ, what he was saying is, you are the anointed one. The Christ was the Messiah, the long-awaited Messiah. Do you remember in John chapter 4 when Jesus talked to that woman from Samaria at Jacob's well? And they had an extended conversation and during the course of their conversation, he identified himself as the Messiah to her. She said, we know that when the Messiah comes, he'll tell us all things. And Jesus said, I who speak to you am he. Jesus identified himself as the Messiah. In other words, the Christ, the anointed one. So Peter is saying, number one, you are the Christ. Number two, listen to what he says the son of the living God. Was Jesus a great teacher? Absolutely. Was he a man of tremendous compassion and love? You better know he was. Did he, did he view himself as the Messiah? Yes, he did. So Simon Peter got it right on both counts, didn't he? Number one, he said, you are the Christ. That is, you are the anointed one. And number two, he said, you are the son of the living God. In John chapter six, when Jesus identified himself as the bread of life, and many of the people of that day had difficulty accepting his teaching, the response was, this is a hard saying. Who can hear it? And John tells us, many of his disciples went back and walked no more with him. So Jesus asked the question, Will you also go away? And Simon Peter responded by saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal. And we have come to believe and know that you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now I want to ask you this question. What do you think helped Peter come to the conclusion? that Jesus was the Christ, the Son of the living God. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 17. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Let me, just, let me just ask you this question. During the three and a half years of the Lord's ministry, where was the apostle Peter? Where were the other disciples? They had a front row seat 
to the message of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the miracles that he performed. They had the opportunity to see the Lord at work firsthand. John said many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples which are not written in this book, but these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Now go back to Matthew chapter 8. After Jesus gave what is typically called the Sermon on the Mount, we have him healing a man who had leprosy. And then Matthew tells us that Peter had a mother-in-law and she was sick with fever. And do you know what Jesus did? He healed her. Do you not think that made an impression on him? So I think about all of the miracles that he had the opportunity to see firsthand. I mean, the conclusion ought to have been, look, this is somebody, this is somebody different. This is somebody vastly different than just a normal human being. And then what about the great messages that Peter heard over and over and over again. I wonder, I wonder what kind of impact did those messages have on the apostle Peter? Well, in John chapter six, Peter said, for you have the words of life eternal. You see, Peter came to understand that Jesus and Jesus alone had the words of life eternal. So his message resonated with the apostle. So Peter was able to observe firsthand the miracles that he performed regularly. And then he had the opportunity to audibly hear him over and over and over again. Now in John chapter 6, when Jesus asked the question, will you also go away? Simon Peter said, Lord, to whom shall we go? For you have the words of life eternal and we have come to believe and know. Note that. It was a process, wasn't it? The conclusion was, the consensus was, this is the son of God, the son of the living God. So now here's a second question. What is your conclusion? What is your personal conclusion about the identity of Jesus? Now I want you to think about this for a moment. Your answer will have an eternal bearing on where you spend eternity. Did you know that? What you conclude about Jesus will impact where you spend eternity. If you get it right, and let me ask this question, did Simon Peter get it right? When he responded to the Lord Jesus Christ, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God, was he correct? The answer is yes. Now I want to just very quickly bring one thing up. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. Now look at verse 18. And I also say to you that you are Peter and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. Here's a question. 
Did Jesus Christ promise to build his church on the apostle Peter? Absolutely not. Why is that? Because Jesus Christ is the foundation of the church, not Peter, Jesus is. Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 11, for other foundation can no man lay than that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Jesus is not only the foundation of the church, he's the founder of the church. That's what he said in verse 18, I will build my church, it belongs to him. Well, so what you're saying is that Jesus promised to build his church on the basis of what? On the basis of the confession that was made by the apostle Peter. And that is that Jesus is the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus did not promise to build the church on Peter. Peter is not the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church, Ephesians 5. The apostle Peter does not regulate the behavior of the church. The Bible does. So, Jesus takes the confession that was made by Peter and promises to build the church. Now, what are your conclusions? What are your personal conclusions about Jesus? If someone were, if someone were to pull you on the street, pull you to the side, and ask you, what do you think about Jesus? If they were to say, who do you say that he is? What would you say? I said that your answer has eternal implications. How do I know that? Well, in John 3, verse 36, Jesus said, he who has the Son has everlasting life. He who does not have the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God abides on him. What Jesus is saying is if you have a relationship what John is saying is if you have a relationship with Jesus, you have life. You have the blessings and promises of eternal life. If you do not have a relationship with the Lord, you do not have life, and you stand in jeopardy of facing the wrath of Almighty God. So, what is your conclusion? Here's the key. You need to get it right. There is no margin for error. You have got to get it right about the identity of Jesus if you want to go to heaven. Was he a social revolutionist? Did he bring about social change? Yes. Was he a great teacher? Yes. Was he a compassionate being? Absolutely. Was he the Messiah? Yes, he was. Was he the son of God? You have to decide that. Now, if you go back and look at Isaiah chapter 9, Isaiah identified Jesus as wonderful, counselor, mighty God, everlasting father, the prince of peace in chapter 9, verse 6. In Isaiah chapter 7, verse 14, Matthew chapter 1, Jesus is identified as Emmanuel which means 
God with us. The Bible speaks of Jesus as the eternal word, the logos, who became flesh. John said in John 1, in the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. So Jesus is the eternal logos. He is the bread of life. That's what he said in John chapter 6. He is the light of the world, John 8 verse 12. He is the good shepherd that gives his life for the sheep, John 10 verse 11. Jesus is the bright and morning star spoken of by John in Revelation chapter 22, verse 16. I want to ask you again, what are your conclusions about Jesus? Were Jesus to stand before you tonight and ask you as he did the disciples in the long ago, who do you say that I am? What would you say? Would you conclude as they did as Peter did, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. There are a lot of people in our world today that have never confessed the name of Christ. Jesus said, except you believe that I am he, you will die in your sins. In the original, John chapter 8, verse 24, the word he was supplied by the translators. What Jesus was saying in the long ago, except you believe that I am. Do you remember what he said in John 8, verse 58? Before Abraham was, I am. What does that designate? It designates that he is deity. Jesus was saying to people in the first century, he's saying to us today, unless we conclude that he is who he claimed to be, that is the son of the living God, the great I am, we will die in our sins. And Jesus said, if you die in your sins where I am, there you cannot come. Sometimes we joke about heaven and hell. We shouldn't, but we do. And there are a lot of people that in a very flippant way talk about hell. They laugh about hell. They talk about going to hell. They talk about going to be with all their great friends. Let me tell you what. You don't, want to, you don't want to joke about heaven and you sure don't want to joke about hell. What Jesus is saying is unless you draw the right conclusions about who I am and live for me, that will be your fate. Now, the Bible says God is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to repentance. You see, the Lord is interested in salvation, not condemnation. Will there be people lost? Yes, they will. Will there be people condemned? Of course they will. Why? Because of sin. And because they did not take the prescription to avail themselves of the blood of Christ. Without, without the blood of Christ, we would all be lost. So tonight, as we bring this lesson to a close, I want to ask you this question. If you believe Jesus is who he claimed to be and you haven't obeyed him, if you haven't become a member of the, of the body of Christ, if you've never been baptized into Christ, I want to ask you tonight why. 
You say, I love him. I sing about him every week when we come to worship services. I just haven't been baptized into Christ. You know what Jesus said? If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love the Lord, you'll do what he says. The Lord Jesus Christ said that we are to put our faith and trust in him. We are commanded to repent. Jesus said, except you repent, you will all likewise perish, Luke 13, 3. We are to confess with our mouth what we believe in our heart. Matthew 10, 32, Romans chapter 10, 9 and 10. And then we are to be baptized into Christ. Why are we baptized into Jesus Christ? Because that's where we contact the blood. Jesus shed his blood in death, John 19, 34. The only way to appropriate that blood is to be baptized into Christ. Paul said in Romans 6, verse 3, Know ye not that all we who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death. When we're baptized, we contact the blood of Christ. We rise to walk in newness of life. Every sin washed away. So if you haven't done that, why? You believe Jesus to be the Son of God. You understand that everything the scriptures say about him is true, so why haven't you done what you know you need to do? A second question. Let's suppose you're here tonight. You're a Christian, but you're not a faithful Christian. You believe what the Bible says about Jesus. You know what Jesus expects of you, but you haven't been faithful. Why is that? Why have you lived as if the Lord didn't die for you? Why would you jeopardize your soul in eternity by living an unfaithful life? The Lord said, be faithful until death, the promise being the crown of life. I think sometimes we get comfortable. We become apathetic and complacent in our Christianity. We forget about what we ought to be and we blend in with the world and we conform. Well, if you know what the Lord expects of you and you haven't lived up to that expectation, could I encourage you to come home? Could I encourage you to come back to the Lord who loved you and paid the price for your sins? Jesus is interested in you. He wants you to be a faithful disciple of his day in and day out, Sunday through Saturday. So, if you're not faithful, the only, only conclusion that I can come to is you really don't think Jesus is who he claimed to be because you sure don't live like it. And if that's the case, you're in grave trouble. Now, here's the beauty of Christianity. There's what the Bible calls God's second law of pardon. You can be forgiven. James said, confess your faults one to another, pray one for another. We can pray with you and for you, and God will abundantly pardon. We can do that this hour. There's no need for you to leave here tonight with any doubt in your mind about your relationship to the Lord. Listen, we're here to see people 
live in such a way so that one day heaven will be their home. We're on our, we're on our way to heaven, and we want to take everybody with us. So if you need to respond, would you do so as we stand and sing?